Hey Rockheads, if you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's great for kids doing homework, great for reading, great for writing, anything that you need to focus on. The results speak for themselves. I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments and more at mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1174, with guest Sean Wildermuth. Recorded Thursday, July 23rd, 2015. Guess what? What? It's .NET Rocks. I love it. Sean Wildermuth is here. We're going to have a good time. And uh, you've been a little busy we, <laughs> with your Visual Studio uh, launch and all of that. Tell us what happened. Yeah. Well, they, they did the online launch of Visual Studio 2015. Uh, and near as I could tell, there's not going to be a road trip associated with that since it's already happened. So those who have been asking, nope, nah, nothing happening there. But uh, yeah, Humanitarian Toolbox. Yeah, the Humanitarian Toolbox is the demo app, right? So what happened was they, um, the folks at Microsoft, Dimitri Leyland in, in particular, who will be on the show sometime soon, uh, were looking for what sample app, essentially, you know, what's the next Fitch and Mather? What's the next uh, uh, Fabricam app? And they, and they wanted to build something a little more real. I mean, we're living in the open source world now, so you could build some real code. And we were chatting about it. And uh, after some humming and hawing around and, and digging really hard, we came across this opportunity with the Red Cross. So the Red Cross, uh, you know, they, I didn't, I wasn't, you never really think about this, but the Red Cross sends volunteers to every house fire in North yep, America. It's true. And I think f further afield, but for sure in North America, every time there's a house fire, they find a nearby volunteer goes there with blankets and teddy bears for kids and phone numbers, like just the people mm -hmm. you need to contact now that, you know, you're dealing with a house fire. Yeah. And so one of their initiatives is let's have fewer house fires or let's have fewer people in danger when there is a house fire. So smoke detectors. So the core of the app, and they call the app already, is allowing donated smoke detectors to be put into homes that need them. So mm. you have your social media campaign to get out there to, uh, you know, find people who don't have smoke detectors, and you need a volunteer uh, who knows what they're doing to actually install the smoke detector properly. So it's just connecting that donator with someone in need with a volunteer that can facilitate. Mm. And, uh, and that's the app. And that's, and that's now sitting in the GitHub repository for humanitarian toolbox. So htbox.org uh, is the website. And on github.com slash htbox is where the app's living. That is so awesome. Yeah. I'm really super excited. They, the, the team got together, the Microsoft team got together 17 volunteers, um, worked in building 44 for three days and got sort of a first vertical stripe through the app. Uh, we're going to be working on it at that conference and, you know, more codeathons coming to you to get it into shape for the fall to get it out in the field. It's fantastic. That's awesome. So how did the launch go? Uh, the launch was a riot. You know, it's, uh, the, you're streaming as uh, some live stream, some pre-record. There was lots of video. It meant I drove to Redmond a bunch yeah. and was on the phone a fair bit. And, uh, but you know, they'd play a video. We shot the previous week and then we'd go live to answer questions on it, uh, with folks. That we're listening. We've got questions about the coding practice and the tools that were involved and, you know, what Studio 15 could do, but also questions about uh, how do I volunteer and how do I, uh, you know, get a smoke detector, those kinds of things. So it was all over the place. Awesome. Well, um, let's uh, run the music for Better Know Framework. Richard, I think you're going to like this uh, one. Ah, cool. Cool. <laughs> 
All right, dude, what do you got? First of all, I would like to publicly address a concern that an alert listener had. I can't remember if it was a Twitter or a comment, but basically said, what is this Better Know Framework thing? It sounds like a free ad. No thanks, right? Oh, wow. And no, it's not an ad. Better Know Framework started as me sort of shining a light on the little corners of the .NET framework that we all needed to know. And, um, you know, after a while, you sort of run out of interesting things to talk about. So I started looking around on the internet for things that interest me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm perfectly happy to share things that I like. Now, I did get in trouble once for talking about a Kickstarter campaign that had died and the guy owed a lot of people a lot of money. So I vowed never to do Kickstarters again. Fair enough. Right. However, every once in a while, I actually buy a product that I'm so happy with that I like. And, you know, I don't go to them and say, hey, you want to pay me to talk about your product? Doesn't work like that. It's just like you and me talking at the water cooler. And I'll say, hey, I got to share this experience. So that's what I'm doing now. Um, have you ever heard of Unraid? No. What's Unraid? Well, first of all, you know what Raid is. You're a IT guy. Yes, redundant array of inexpensive disks. That's right, and uh, that's short for a big headache. Well, only if you do it wrong. And, you know, most people do it wrong. (laughs) Yeah, it's easy to get burned. Yeah, and there are problems with RAID, right? It's hard to scale up, um, hard to replace things. You know, when something needs to be rebuilt, you're down for a while. There are problems. So, So, Unraid is a software solution. It's based on Linux. And it installs on a flash drive on any PC. And here's what it does. You can have up to 24 devices of any different size, speed, brand, protocol, whatever, in a single array. You can utilize different file systems across individual devices in the array. You can expand on demand without having to rebalance data. You can prevent simultaneous multi-device failure from causing data loss. And it only spins up drives that are actually in use reducing the power and heat and improving device longevity. And it supports Docker. You can have Docker containers on here. Um, some caveats is you you have one parity drive, right? Yep. And you can have a cache pool of one or more SSD drives for caching. You can't use SSDs for parity or data drives. It's not supported. Interesting. So that's that's an important lesson that I learned after I RTFM'd, after I set up a, an SSD array. <laughs> yeah. Um, and your data drives can only be as big as the parity drive. But what's cool about it is you just boot this thing up, and then you connect to it with the web, and you configure it all with a website, and then it tells you what your drives are and how you want to add them to the array, start it, stop it, whatever. And replacing things is easy as shut it down, replace the drive, turn it back on, and everything just sort of happens. And uh, right now, I've picked up a couple of three gig drives. These are all drives that I've been using and have been, you know, used before at the studio, but they're lying all over the place. I have tons of hard drives just lying around, right? And so my problem is that I, I want them all that data in one place, but there's just too much, right? I need something like 20 terabytes in order to hold all this stuff. So what I do is I, I started with, you know, seven. Uh, one terabyte drives, created an array, copied over a bunch of stuff from my other drives, and then added those drives to the array. And it just grows up to 24 of them. And how much? Yeah, so it was 170 bucks for the full product, but it starts 
uh, it starts a lot cheaper than that. Nice. So in order to support 24 devices, you have to pay like 170 bucks. But it's a one-time cost, and um, it seems pretty cheap compared to a dedicated NAS device. I just found an old PC that had enough power to handle everything and had enough SATA ports on it. And uh, another 10 bucks will get me another six SATA ports on a PCM CIA card. So I'm not worried about it. I don't need a video card because it's just a headless box. So I've got three PCMCIA slots in there and lots of room for expansion. And clearly you don't listen to Run As Radio because this sounds like Windows Storage Server. Yeah, in fact, I went and looking for a Windows Storage Server and, of course, it's not supported anymore. A bunch of people were uh, suggesting this product just, you know, on the on the web. And so I uh, took a look at it and it works. It works pretty well. Yeah, well, storage services just became part of the regular Windows now, so... You know, it's, it is built into Windows. So it's built into Windows Server? Yeah. All right. So I could do the same thing with a Windows Server is what you're saying. Basically, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And it's just interesting how we've evolved away from hardware-driven RAID because the software is fast enough now. There's just no reason to have dedicated hardware for any of these things. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. So, you know, this, this really worked for me and it is continuing to work and uh, I'm really liking it. Yeah. Cool. It's a dedicated OS, right? So it's de- yeah, and that's you know the funny part is that's the right thing to do, right? Yep. Is to uh, to have something absolutely dedicated to doing just storage. Yep. So there you go. Awesome. I should listen to Run As Radio more, Richard. Yep. As should you all. <laughs> Runasradio.com. Who's talking to us, my friend? Grabbed a comment off of show nine eighty nine, the one we did with one Sean Wildermuth, where we were talking about code reviews. Never which heard of him. Fired off a huge number of comments. It was almost an embarrassment of riches to try and figure out which one to sort of pluck. I'm, I'll probably pull a few more over time here. But Nathan Cripps had one that it really made me happy. It said, uh, "There is one thing I introduce with code reviews at every company I work for. If possible, a code review should be given to another employee who did not work on the code." Mm. If the reviewer cannot understand the code or the problem feature that the code is supposed to do, then that's a fail. Yep. Quality of the actual code comes second. That's the next step. The issues go back to the developer and it's up to their responsibility to add more comments or documentation as an ongoing work ticket so that other developers can understand the code. It's particularly important because how often have you been asked to work on code and the person who wrote is no longer with the company? Too much time is taken to figure out what the code's supposed to do, and this approach is meant to address that. If you have enough information during a code review to understand it, then the likelihood of understanding in the future is also good. Yeah. Tight deadlines handed down from above often put a damper on this, but it makes all the difference in the future. Okay. Can't argue. Brilliant nope. thought, right? That you really want somebody who knows nothing about the project, hasn't seen the code before, to look at it so they don't take any of those jumps ahead they they really do need to understand it i agree well i'm sad that we don't have more debate around this nathan thank you so much for your comment a donut rocks mug is on its way to you and if you'd like a donut rocks mug write a comment on the website at donutrocks.com or via any of the social media sites we post every show to facebook google plus if you comment there we read it on the show we'll send you a mug 
Well, we'll ask Sean what he thinks of that, but first let me introduce him formally. Sean Wildermuth is a 13-time Microsoft MVP for ASP.NET and IIS. He's the author of eight books and dozens of articles on software development and a plural site author with over 15 courses to his name. He is one of the Wilder Minds, at which you can find at wilderminds.com, and can be reached at his blog at wildermuth.com, W-I-L-D-E-R-M-U-T-H.com. Welcome back, Sean. And what did you think of, uh, what do you think of that comment that you should find somebody who's completely ignorant about the project or didn't work on the project to do your code review? I think that's a great suggestion. I find this a lot that people are all often underestimating the readability of the code, how important that is. It's not just whether it does the job and does it effectively, but that, you know, long lived. Yeah. Um, uh, approach the uh, I don't remember what book it was in it was probably a McConnell book from a hundred years ago mm. but uh, that old metric of you know 10 cents is spent to write the code and 90 cents is spent to uh, maintain the code yeah and uh, I don't know whether that metric's true anymore but the, the the lesson there is certainly right on to what the commenter said you know if, if they can't read if the new uh, you know maintaining engineer can't read the code the amount of time he's going to waste trying to understand it is is money out the door. Sean, it, you don't sound like a man with a broken arm. <laughs> I am. I am. I'm on a lot of pain meds. No, <laughs> not actually. Well, it should be. What fun. happened? The last we knew, you were off to travel the world with your wife, and uh, and you're still on that trip, right? No, no, I am home in Atlanta. Okay, I am home in Atlanta. It's been a, it's been kind of a crazy few weeks since the trip. We had originally planned to get married and leave the country for a year. Mm-hmm. We got one of those tickets where you can fly ar- around the world for a year and we're going to do this. You know, if we want to have kids, we want to be able to have an adventure before all of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And a, uh, during, we were having so much fun. We said, Oh, let's stay a little longer. Let's see a few more things. Let's do a, uh, a road trip across the U.S. as a, on our way back home. All this other great plans. Trip was going to be about 16, 17 months long. Yep. Amazing. One year and one day into the trip, I broke my arm. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect timing. Hmm. Also, the day after our travel insurance ran out. No. 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 <laughs> God. Oh. That's terrible. Holy I took man. it as a sign to go home. Yeah, no kidding. Time for you to go home. Now, tell me you broke your arm wrestling a shark. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was in Thailand about three hours outside of Bangkok at the time at a friend's house, and a uh, one of the Thailand elephants came storming by, and to save a small puppy, I threw myself in front of the elephant. <laughs> Not only your arm broken, but you should have seen the elephant. You should have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The puppy is fine. Oh. The puppy is fine. That's, that's a great story. Let's go with that one. I like yeah, that. We'll go with that one. Defender of puppies. <laughs> Me thinks the real answer is not quite as dramatic. It, it's not. It. Uh, I was on a floating dock, tried to walk off of it, fell into the water, and... And landed on my elbow and just cracked the uh, my upper humerus pretty badly. Ouch. Oh, that wasn't too humorous. No, it was not. No. Please <laughs> save me. No. The, what was interesting is uh, we, we saw doctors in Thailand and the medical care act, act there was really good. Yeah, you know, they, they say it's one of the medical tourism destinations. Yeah. It was really good. 
uh, it, it really came down to uh, not being able to understand their English well enough for me to understand what they were doing that really made us decide, let's go home. My uh, my wife has a, a, a bone doctor here that fixed her ankle when she broke it a few years ago that we really like. So let's take it as a sign. It's one day and one one year and one day into the trip. It's time. So where did you get to? I know you went to Thailand. I know you went to Germany. I saw pictures on Facebook of you and at the statue of Martin Luther in Dresden. And yep. where else did you get to? We went to 29 countries and three continents. So we got to wow. South Africa. We got to most, most of Europe. We missed, uh, um, um, Spain and such, but we were in Eastern Europe and Western Europe, um, uh, for quite a long time, Greece, Italy, et cetera. Um, and then when we went to, uh, Asia, we started in India, um, went to, uh, Hong Kong, which we adored. Everyone should go to Hong Kong. Love Hong Kong. It's amazing. And uh, um, uh, we went to Kuala Lumpur, we went to Singapore, Bangkok, and then uh, flew home. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, really, the only two places we missed were South Korea and Japan, which we're going to have to do. Yeah. Those are the things that got canceled because of the uh, broken arm. Oh, so wow. you think Hong Kong was your favorite? We, uh, Risa, uh, my wife and I, um, talked about this. There were three places where we could have settled down and been perfectly happy. Hong Kong, Paris, and, uh, Florence, Italy. Nice. Yeah. Now, luckily, all three of them are incredibly expensive. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so did you, uh, did you get to take in an opera in Florence? We didn't in Florence. We did in Prague. Oh, no. Yeah. Which was, uh, quite amazing. They actually had subtitles in Czech and English. Wow. It's cool. What was the opera? It was, yeah, I don't remember what, but I'm, sh- I'm sure I'm going to get in trouble with, with my wife when she hears this, that I wasn't paying attention. But it was, it was melodramatic and something about someone cheating on somebody and then someone dying of, of consumption. Sounds like an opera. AKA all operas. Yeah. Exactly. Right. As far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, this is what they did before movies. You know, this was the epic production that you went to see. It had everything, acting, music, and uh, theatrics, and costumes, and all that. It was amazing to, you know, see the, the production and all of that, but not being able to understand the language and trying to kind of keep up with the with the uh, sort of the verbosity of the, of the translations. Yeah. I, I was a little bored. So how did they do the, it's interesting to me, how did they do a live opera with with subtitles? They have like a little screen along the bottom of the stage? Actually along the top of the stage. Really? Yeah. That's and cool. they just, like a little projection up there. And, wow. And I assume it was in time. You know, who knows? It could have been, you know, 30 seconds out. I'm not sure I would have known. Yeah. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Coder Foundry. Coder Foundry is the nation's premier .NET boot camp teaching students the full-stack .NET framework plus AngularJS in just 12 weeks, with job placement services available upon graduation. Classes start every 12 weeks. To apply online or to learn more, visit coderfoundry.com rocks. And if you'd like to know more about Coder Foundry, you can listen to a 20-minute interview Richard and I did with Bobby Davis from the Coder Foundry, Check it out at tinyurl.com slash coderinfo. So uh, were you working the whole time you were out there, or was it all just a, a trip for the purposes of seeing the world? A lot of people talk to us about, wow, you get to go on a year-long honeymoon, and if only that were the case. We, we, spent about the, we spent our time in Paris as an actual honeymoon, but after that, I was working. And most of the time, I was building Pluralsight courses, because I could do that 
right. you know, whenever I could get an internet connection. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I still work with some clients here, here and there, but primarily it was just building courseware because you can get, you know, it's always quiet at 3 a.m. Right. You know, Doesn't matter where you are. Every, yeah, almost yeah. any city. So being able to record and build and, and I, you know, uh, I, I always felt weird about this, but the fact is that I love what I do. I couldn't spend a year away from it because I'm just, you know, intellectually curious about what is going on, what the next interesting thing is. And yeah. um, we, we made a deal that in Paris, I wouldn't use any social media. Um, and that did last um, about four days. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do any work for the month. I, I kept that promise. And I think I kept off, kept off Twitter for three weeks, but uh, wow, it's only so much a man can do. Yeah, <laughs> really, yes. Four days completely offline. Is that what you're really saying? Yeah. I don't know if I could do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's really sad, isn't it? It's something, isn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, the only way I've been able to get fully offline is to go to places like Nepal and walk off the grid. Yeah. It's no willpower of my part. I'm nowhere. But you said exactly. even when you were climbing Everest, Richard, that you earned, was it uh, Kilimanjaro, that you had cell phone service and you got a call from your wife and she's like, hey, you sound out of breath. <laughs> it's like, because <laughs> I'm climbing a freaking mountain. Yeah. That, on Kili, there was one campsite that was in view of a village and the cell phones lit up, but we were at like 14,000 feet. And so wow. it was a mistake to phone home because yeah. I just scared my kids. Right? You just think you're, you're dying. You're right? gasping for air because <laughs> you are wow. dying. Really, it's just it's slowly. Hard. I have a few weeks. Uh, well, anyway, now, speaking yeah. of Nepal, that was one of our favorite places we went. We only uh, got to Kathmandu for a couple of days. We didn't get uh, to climb any mountains like some people. Um, <laughs> but uh, th- that was a uh, one of the highlights of our trip. Was uh, we were there before the earthquake. And so we kind of had this, uh, you know, we got to see the Monkey Temple and yeah. uh, Derby Square and all that. And and then it was uh, about three weeks later that the earthquake happened. And it's uh, just amazingly devastating to to see that. Because we found the the Nepalese people to be some of the friendliest people we had in our entire trip. It was really amazing. It's a lovely country and a, no- a lovely group of people. And yeah, the, the earthquake was shocking. And specifically, you know, it's easy for the press to make it look like the whole country collapsed. It wasn't that much. It was, but it was mostly heritage sites. But most yeah. people's homes survived. You know, they, some people lost their lives, but it could have been way worse. There's millions Absolutely. of people there, and thousands died. Um, mm. But you know, for me and the, the the Sherpa that I have worked with for for more than ten years, the the school we built back in 2008. Well, it was we re- worked on a library there, but those buildings were all destroyed. So we were going to be rebuilding. Wow. Wow. But, but nobody died, at least in that village anyway. That's good news. So did you run across any interesting things going on, like uh, protests or uh, any kind of upheavals or unrest that didn't involve your arm while you were overseas? Not really. You know, there were uh, there were protests in uh, Bulgaria where we were there, but we didn't understand what they were for. And they seemed seemed like there were about 40, 40 people in front of a building. It, I don't know if I'd even call it a protest, but okay. there were signs. Same in Turkey. Turkey, there were uh, some protests and we were sort of told a couple of places not to hang out in just in case it got violent. But for the most part, no, no, we were... You know, even Hong Kong, uh, this was after uh, a lot of the Hong Kong protests. So mm, yeah. uh, we were there in a, in a relatively calm calm period as well. So tell us about Hong Kong, how, how, why you liked it so much. Well, 
What I really like about Hong Kong is that it wasn't India, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go. Right, here come yeah. the emails from our Indian listeners. Yeah. Well, we, we went to India and we just weren't um, prepared for how hard it was going to be to get around. And so we really enjoyed Hong Kong because of it, you know, it has... It's a metropolitan uh, city. It's not only a metropolitan city, it's a very first world city, but it has a l like seven different cultures really, uh, you know, in your face. So you can kind of go from street to street and go from uh, an English pub down to a hot pot place to a Korean barbecue place and mm -hmm. just kind of, you know, have this great experience. And we, we were very lucky that we were there and uh, Stephen Forte was uh, there for a couple of days. So he showed us Hong Kong like, uh, like no one else we know could have. Oh, yeah. And that yeah. was, you know... That was a, a just a great experience. There's something about the civility there. Uh, I, a lot of people don't know this, but Hong Kong is built on these very mountainous islands. So, you know, everything, once you uh, get away from the water for about 10 feet, everything's uh, up a hill. Yep. And up a pretty steep hill. You know, some of these giant skyscrapers are really tall, and then you realize it's built halfway up the mountain. It starts halfway up the mountain. You know, that makes them seem even larger. And uh, the civility comes in that there are escalators up the mountain. So between each of the streets in certain parts of the city, they just have escalators that will take you between the streets because walking up uh, the mountain would just have killed me. Maybe not Richard since he's a mountain climber, but um, would have killed me. And so the idea of being able to just sort of traverse the terrain, you know, it wasn't like we were in an outdoor mall. It was just the streets. Um, and I think everyone should do that in a mountainous region. I'm, I'm for this because in Vienna, nope. Vienna, <laughs> you walk. In, in uh, yeah. what is the name of the town? Wow, that's, that's embarrassing. In a Swiss town that you can fix later. You can fix that in post, right? Um, <laughs> Just make a name. <laughs> yeah. It, then your name. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there was none of that and it was killing us to go home every day way up on the top of a mountain. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and for, for us being able to get to know local people, uh, is, was really great in any place we went. In Hong Kong, we were, were able to connect with the local MVP community, which was really good. Um, have some dinners with them and, and talk with them. There weren't a lot of user groups in, in a lot of the places we went in Asia, which surprised me because I was hoping to, to stop by and maybe do a talk and meet uh, local developers and such, and many of the places we went. Um, but it was a little harder uh, in Asia, language difficulties. Um, but we found that in Kuala Lumpur, the community was amazing. And in Beijing, it was really, we had this great dinner where I didn't understand anything that was said <laughs> for the entire time. But they seemed to be happy to meet me, and so I just, I smiled and ate my... Did you laugh, uh, laugh at their parent jokes? You know, I tried. Go, ha ha ha! You go ha 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 ha. I yeah. I, I did the uh, raised eyebrow nod. It's not good to fake it. No, no. I ask me how I know. <laughs> how do you know? Well, I had a conversation with a guy who was actually we were separated by a common language. He was Scottish. <laughs> nice. And uh, he was telling me all these stories, and I understood one out of every ten words and stuff. And I fit, tried to fake it and went, "Oh yeah, ha ha ha." You know, we <laughs> ended up on a point where he just, you know, he kind of got a little somber, or whatever. And I said something like, awesome. He goes, he looks at me, awesome? She died of cancer. <laughs> like, oh, jeez. Oh. Ever since then, I vowed not to try to fake it in conversation. Good call. 
I'd Good just be call. like, I'm sorry, I don't understand a word of what you're saying. I'm just going to go over there. <laughs> Drink my scotch. Thank you. But you met with developers all over the world. Yeah. I mean, there were uh, some places harder than others, but, you know, that was always the attempt to wanting to meet developers and talk, you know, how things are different, what kind of uh, work they do here or there. And it was amazing how little it's different, you know. You know, whenever we'd have a little group, you know, a dinner with some MVPs, there would be the two IT MVPs, there'd be the one office MVP, and then the, like, three developer MVPs. There was always that same mix pretty much everywhere we went, um, which was kind of surprising, because I usually, you know, when I think of, of developer communities, I think developers. I don't think of, uh, you know, I, IT alone, but, uh, you know, I'm wrong all the time. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Ah, uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep. It's time to announce the new .NET Rocks trip around the world. We're going to start by driving from Boston to Ireland. <laughs> We're going to take a bus to Australia, jet ski over New Zealand, walk to Vancouver, and then I get to hitchhike back to New London. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's a long jet ski. That's the sound of crickets. Nice. That's the sound of nothing right there. Yeah, a whole lot of nothing. Uh, what? You just told me not to fake the laugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, not to fake understanding, my friend. I think oh, you understood oh, it perfectly. Oh. It just wasn't funny. Actually, it's time <laughs> to give away Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, Telerik DevCraft is the most complete .NET toolbox for web, mobile, and desktop development. With the addition of UI for Xamarin to the DevCraft bundle, you can create compelling native mobile experiences with your C-sharp skills. Download a free trial at tinyurl.com slash devcrafttrial. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Luke Gerben from Norwich in the UK. Oh, nice. Congratulations, Luke. I went, to Norwich. I went to Norwich on a tour of, uh, on a choral tour when I was 12 and sang in the cathedral there. Nice. And Luke thought that was very cool. Small world, he says. Congratulations, Luke. You're, you just won a Telerik DevCraft bundle. That's a big pile of awesome from Telerik. And if you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And of course, Sean, it's your turn. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today... What would you buy? Uh, I would buy one of every VR headset. Oh, that's mm. a great idea. Mm. So, I mean, um, beyond Oculus Rift? Well, I, I, it was actually my first like big purchase when we got back to the States because I couldn't justify traveling with an Oculus. Right. I was like, you know, we have, we have 50 pounds per person uh, during the trip, and I can't justify all the wired bundles. And so I actually got one uh, uh, a few days ago. And so I'm sort of uh, diving into that deep VR world. Now, I'm not much of a 3D programmer, so I don't think I'm going to actually be writing much code with it. But mm. uh, playing Space Sims with it is pretty amazing. <laughs> what are you playing? Elite Dangerous. Oh, of course, yeah. Nate. Yeah. That'll make you motion sick. By the way, I have an Oculus Rift uh, 2, the developer edition, which I'm willing to part with, you know, so if somebody's interested, email me. <laughs> you should have told me if, uh, yeah. a few weeks ago. Yeah, sorry. 
<laughs> I like it and everything, but it kind of makes me nauseous. And I guess it doesn't have that effect on everybody, but no, I just can't wear it for more than five minutes at a time. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I don't have that problem. At least with the Space Sim, I haven't played a lot of things with it, but that uh, that seems to be working okay. Well, cool. What else besides the Oculus Rift? I mean, Hololens. If and when that Hololens, exists, if if they if they ever sell them, yeah. I find it very interesting the different sort of technology level there, because when you look at uh, sort of the uh, what what um, um, the different companies are doing in the VR space, they're all basically you know head mounted monitors with some sensors and right. things like that, and then you have uh, Hololens, which is really a PC with a heads up display. Yeah, well, it's the difference between augmented reality and VR. Well, not just that, but in the way they're they're doing it, uh, the the headset in, or at least the way I understand it, the headset in the Hololens is going to be a lot more expensive than the traditional uh, VR headsets because it's going to have all the guts of a PC in it in order to do all the heads up display stuff. Yeah, you're, you're trying not to just make yourself plug it into a port and go. Yeah, and I don't know that that's necessary. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm c- confused by that because I think the price will scare people off. It's sort of the you know, the, the Google Glass pro- problem, right? Ooh, am I going to spend $1,500 for, you know, what looks like just a, a headset where, you know, the Oculus people are saying $300. Right. But the Oculus requires a PC. Yeah. Which Does. is more money, too. And the Oculus right now, I don't think, works with Minecraft and 3D hands and all that. So, right. who knows? But there's a ton of others, too. There's the HTC one and the Sony uh-huh. one and... You know, they just, they're making, everybody's trying to make one of these right now. Somebody's going to win it. I, I feel like Oculus has the has the edge just because they've been in it the longest, but I, I wouldn't want to bet out Steam and HTC working together. I don't know. I think these things come in waves. I mean, you know, for a while, the Oculus was really cool, and then Microsoft announced HoloLens, and there's other things out there, too, as Richard said, that some of them are pretty unbelievable. So they'll be probably playing catch up with each other for a while. Well, and I, I'm a John Carmack disciple, and Carmack basically stopped working on his own business to join Oculus. Mm. That was the big, most incredible endorsement you could possibly imagine. I mean, this is the guy who basically invented the through, you know, the first person shooter, and Absolutely. he dropped everything to work on Oculus. But now it's owned by Facebook. Who knows what that means? Yeah, who? <laughs> <laughs> that that's the weird. That is the weird relationship in in, yeah. in VR, certainly. Yeah. Uh, though, though, there's a lot of games I would not play with a with a headset. You know, uh, and any of the Doom games would just make me pee myself. I'm not going to play that in 3D. Well, and one of the things I've heard from friends of mine that are game developers is the side effect of Oculus is you have to turn the game down, like in the sense that they've jacked like horror games and things up so much to penetrate that three foot distance between you and the screen Yeah, that, I mean, I played Bioshock back in the day. I couldn't play it at night. It scared the crap out of me <laughs> playing it on an Oculus Rift. I did. That's just brown pants all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the other thing, I don't know if they do this now, but just when you move in an Oculus, it has to be slower and have sort of uh, easing because it's really just jarring. I mean, some of the demos that they have when you move, you feel like you're on a roller coaster. Like if it was in real life, you'd be going about 20 miles an hour from zero to 20 miles an hour, you know, immediately. Yeah. And yeah, that can just, your brain doesn't know what to do with it. No, no. Especially when it it doesn't feel like it's moving. You yeah. Could, 
easily get into throw up territory. Yeah, you still have that basic body disconnect between, you know, you're not getting the you're, you're not getting your your balance center move the same way your eyes are being told you move. That is the, like the classic definition of motion sickness. Yeah. Well, the the thing that interests me though, I don't imagine I would use it. Is these uh um. I don't even know what they're called, but there are these little carts you can get into with VR, where as you walk, you move in the world. Yeah, that's the Omnitread. Yes. So you wear special shoes, you're sort of standing in a bowl, and it's got a ring around you so you don't fall out of it, because you can't (laughs) see, you're wearing goggles, and you can walk around in any direction, but you can't jump. Yet. Yet. Yeah. It's, it's, It's interesting. But, you know, this gets back to, as developers, like... Other than gaming, yeah. What's the goal? What what what's it good for other than gaming? I I VR itself. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I know that there a lot of in, interesting people are thinking about th- uh, three sixty movies. You know, yeah. Where you're in the middle of the experience and can look around. And they're starting to make them right. This idea that no matter yeah. where you look, the you know you're in the scene. Yeah. I just don't know it's a good idea. In the end, making movies is about storytelling, mm. and the story happens somewhere. I would hate that I'm looking in the wrong direction when something important happens. Right. Well, you know, the, the holodeck is a really good example. We were talking about Gene Roddenberry before Sean got on here, Richard. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you, if you just think about all the magic that happens in Star Trek on the holodeck, you know, they're never in a place where something doesn't happen that they notice, you know what I mean? It's all meant to be interactive around them, although the scenery keeps changing. So I don't, I don't know. That's, um, there's, it's, it's going to be an interesting future. I wonder, I, and as soon as the, the HoloLens came out, I thought about, wow, are we going to like have these big warehouse places that are just these, you know, bare walls that can be put up with where everything is a hologram and you just sort of walk through and and experience everything but there's actually nothing on the walls that's an interesting idea there was a a web series i watched a while back where they talked about sort of a vr but it was implanted of course and bad things happened but the <laughs> the thing that i took away from it that was interesting was this idea that you know you could sort of open up a window of the internet very much like hololens anywhere in your vision space and so immediately they showed you know someone driving and telling his wife he wasn't watching the game while he was driving and getting in <laughs> trouble for it um the and i mean william gibson going all the way back to neuromancer so the first time the word cyberspace was ever used and he was describing effectively what, what the internet, they were navigating it in 3D. Would it actually make sense, knowing what we know about the internet, to navigate it three-dimensionally? I'm just not convinced. Me either. Me either. Well, I mean, certainly the web pages of today, yeah. But, you know, if you remember back to VRML and other experiments like that with... Uh, what is it uh, that eventually became Second Life and all yes. of those things? Yeah, those are interesting ways to interact with things and people and information, but there's just so much work involved. I mean, if you're talking about, I want to know something, I want to know it as fast as possible, you really can't beat just reading. Yeah, okay. and, and putting it Im- immediately in front of you. Yeah. Like, is it actually organized information better? Unless you're talking about a visualization or something, which you could still navigate to. Uh, you know, in a browser-like way, and then you're you're in the middle of a visualization or a demonstration of something and how it works that's in 3D. And being able to manipulate in, in that 3D space. 
Yeah, or just being able to understand it. I mean, if, yeah. if you think about just pure information exchange, I want to know something about how the heart works. Well, let's let's miniaturize ourselves and go walking through the valves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the motorcycle demo from HoloLens, right? This I'm designing a new motorcycle, I'm trying different art on it. Yeah. Like but that's again augmented reality. I like the idea as the wife is proposing more renovations. That you throw a hollow lens on, look at the room as it is, and be able to start redesigning it, moving things around, so you actually can see the three dimensional space. Yeah, that's very cool. I'm I'm having that problem right now. You know, we're thinking about putting a deck on the back, uh, redoing our deck, and I thought about making a room, uh, and and the wife just can't visualize it. Just needs to a drawing or something, and a drawing just really is hard to do. First of all, for those who can't draw. And, you know, now you're buying software and stuff right. and trying to figure that out. And you just want something simple. You just wish you could just, you know, there it is. Yeah, it's still not trivial to do. I think virtual reality will ultimately be gamers and porn. I don't think it's going to be used anywhere <laughs> Probably else. right. Once those friend. things ground, if those things catch on, then it will become other things. I'm just not convinced that those things will even catch on. Maybe not, you know. We're moving away from all of the the motion, in, in gaming at least, we're moving away from all the, the, the motion cap stuff, you know, the uh, um, uh, the PlayStation Move and the Kinect and yeah. uh, the stuff in the Wii. Just once the novelty wore off. Yeah, I don't even know if the novelty ever wore on. It only was there long enough for you to buy it. But who? how many people use their Kinect past the first day? Well, I don't know. Yeah, the only thing I ever used it for was voice. Right. I never used it for, for, you know, any of the other stuff. And the auto-login feature was pretty cool. My kids still like to play Wii Sports, and they like the Kinect Harry Potter game. You know, they're they're just part of the the gaming experience for them. I can see that. Yeah. But, you know, it's not like it's anything new. It's not the latest and coolest and greatest, but, but it's still, you know, there are still games that, heck, some of us still play Solitaire, for crying out loud. Crazy talk. That's crazy wow. talk. Well, if they could have get that on the HoloLens in 3D. Actually, they showed a demo of Solitaire on the, on the HoloLens, didn't they? That's some good-looking cards. Yeah. What, do I just <laughs> hold up my hand like I got cards in it, and the cards magically appear, and I just take one and throw it on the deck, and the virtual dealer takes it, and, you know, is that what we're talking about? Taking you know, cards? that's a whole other piece of this equation is sensing level. where your hands are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, that's not a small thing to be able to manifest your hands properly in that VR realm. I, I tend yeah. to think there's a, a, for, you know, for enterprises and business, I think there's more, maybe, shall we say, money or opportunity in the um, the remote presence uh, idea where I could put on this thing and I could just sit down and then actually be in a in a meeting with people you know, uh, across the table and actually looking at them and talking to them. and The Kingsman experience. Yeah. So I love that idea, except for the part where everybody has this thing strapped to their face. Well, you see, in the world, you wouldn't see that, I guess. You'd, I get it. Yeah. And the reason you want that is so that you can see people's expressions. Sure. But in real life, they have this thing strapped to their face. How do you <laughs> see their expressions? Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. I mean, some tricks will have to be done with uh you know, uh real-time image replacement of the eyes or right. whatever, you know. But but it hasn't got the data of actually knowing where you're looking or how you're grimacing or things like that because it's covered up. 
Right? Sure. Like there's got to be a sensor watching you, That's but it right. can't see your face. That's right. A little EKG in the in the thing, and you know, implants would solve all these problems. <laughs> <It would. laughs> I'm totally kidding. I, I'm We're going to end up at the cyborg path. Really, I'm abhorred by that idea. I I like. I remember Amber Case way back when that show we did. Oh yeah, she was uh, the cyber anthropologist, and yeah. she said the reason we don't implant stuff is it impairs upgrading. Yeah. <laughs> She just avoided the whole, that's gross, that causes infections, da da da, da with the, yeah, this makes it hard to upgrade. Yeah. And it's a good answer. Upgrading is, is painful. Yeah. I don't you want surgery a new for upgrades. video card in your laptop is hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, got to reboot my brain. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, keep it external. And I think we're getting better, you know, in the end, what is VR, but this uh, continuing to do enhancements that are external. Yeah. So, Sean, in the last year or so, have you learned anything that uh, uh, our listeners m- about development or, or products or technologies that our developers might find interesting? Well, <clears throat> not really about products or technology, but about what we do for a living. I'm, a, as, as a lot of people have told me over the years, I work too much. And what um, we had to do on the road which we're trying to do now that we're home is this idea of actually having work life work balance. Mm. And I sort of, you know, rolled my eyes when people would talk about it because I love what I do and I'm lucky in that I love what I do. Mm. And we sort of made this deal where, okay, I can this many days of the week is when I'm going to work and, but I'm we're not going to miss being in a city because I am because uh, I'm trying to learn React or because the new version of Visual Studio is out or I want to figure out how to mm. toy with Rosalind. That is not as interesting as being able to go see a museum or go see an opera or just spend time in a park with my wife. Mm. And, uh, you know, getting married certainly uh, affected that. But I see so many people that are so passionate about everything technology and they seem to be missing some of the other piece and that is you know the technology and making a living in technology is uh is really wonderful but there's also the rest of your life uh, i find this in conferences hmm. there's a group of people that i tend to uh talk to you know in the conference after the conference at the bar or whatever that I find interesting because they want to talk about technology plus other stuff not just uh, you know, the C compiler for, for 17 hours. I don't find those people as interesting, um, on the whole because they're not enjoying, uh, they're not enjoying life as much. Those are the people yeah. I'm naturally attracted to. And when I meet, especially young developers where they're really, you know, they're trying to put in their dues and all this stuff, it makes sense to do them. But that at some point, all of us need to, I think, step back and, and realize what it is that we're doing this for. We're doing it so we can actually enjoy our life and not, you know, regret missing our, you know, children walking or missing seeing that great play or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. You know, when uh, we were in London and we were very lucky to be in London when Monty Python was doing their live shows. Wow. Mm. See them live, almost live. I mean, they're really old, but almost. <laughs> And there's no amount uh, of learning some technology or sitting behind a screen that would have compared anything to just this one magical night of going out and seeing, you know, the 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 people that made me laugh when I was five, ten, fifteen, and forty. Mm. Again, right? That 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 memory is way more important than the first time I figured out how pointers worked. And still amazingly funny, those yeah. guys. Yeah. It is absolutely, absolutely. I love it. 
No, I totally get that. But yeah, I guess, I guess, what does that look like? Mm. You know, you work from home just like we do. We have this trap that the work is always there. Yep. It is. It is. I think for me, it's just literally setting boundaries of, uh, by planning ahead, okay, this night we're going to go, you know, Friday night, there's some uh, people in town here. We're going to go have a dinner with like seven different people. Doing yeah. that means that I'm not going to be working on a Friday night. Yeah. By, by, by putting those barriers in place means I'm not going to just be glued to a computer all the time. I've been very successful at doing that. Um, you know, uh, an online calendar helps Yeah. Uh, immensely. In fact, I don't know what I would do without it right now. Well, and as somebody who has to read your calendar on a regular basis, it always makes me smile that you, on your calendar, have totally non-work-related items. Oh, yeah. We right? have that to. You, you are doing, you schedule all of the things. I'm, part of that is me hassling you because if you don't, I'll put a show there. But we've done <laughs> that, though. I mean, we, we've scheduled, you know, playing darts with friends or going out to dinner or, you know, uh, a business meeting uh, or, you know, back porch time or, you know. That kind of thing. We, yeah. we put those things on our calendar. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, important. It is Dark important. times on the calendar. I love that. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. I don't know what show we did today, guys. What is this show? I think it's just catching up with our friend, Sean. I called it Back from the Road. Yeah. That's a good call. That's a perfect name. You like that name? I do. I'm glad you're back, man. Yeah. I mean, we, were, we were always in touch, but uh, well, it's I mean, not the you, same. You were adventuring. No two ways about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, are you have you written blog posts about it? I mean, I've seen things on Facebook, but I haven't checked your blog out. Yeah, there's a blog that talked about it, and we also have a travel blog that talked about our whole experience. Is, is where me and my wife would talk about the trip as we did it. Oh, that's um, great. That's, yeah, uh, that's at blog dot dot com. That's s h a w n a n d r e s a dot com. Great. We have. Um, we put up about 8,000 pictures that at some point we're going to do a slideshow and make all our family sit through. But ah. if anyone wants to see some of the pictures, they're, they're welcome to them. Awesome. Well, Sean, it's been great catching up with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sure we'll have a, an adult beverage next time we're in the same town. I'm sure we will. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a